Uh, but we'll at least be hitting those, those verses today for sure. And I want to invite you to grab a Bible. Uh, that would be a good thing to have this morning, whether that is on your phone or it's a paper, actual book copy. Um, and I need a, I'm hoping to have a few uh, readers this morning to read these passages. You can see they're pretty short. Um, I'd love to have someone read Exodus 2, 11 to 15, and someone else read Exodus 3, 3, oh boy, 11 to 15. Can't talk. It's not a good sign as we get started. If you want to do that, you can just put your name in the chat window. I see my daughter already doing that, and that means that's wonderful. Um, the only trick, Ruby, is that we'll have to see if anybody else wants to do it. Let me pull that up a second. And if you are willing to read, there's no, uh, you can read from any uh, translation you'd like. Uh, Kevin, if you would take that first one, that'd be great. That'd be Exodus 2, 11 to 15. And Andy, that would be awesome. Andy Miller, the Exodus 3 passage. Andy, you'll have to sit tight for just a few minutes. Um, yours is coming up in a little bit. Kevin, yours is in just a second. Let me set the context here a second before we do Exodus 2. So Exodus is the story. We've been in it the last couple of weeks, you might remember, except we were a little further on down the road. The people of Israel, the Hebrew people, uh, were already free when we were encountering them in Exodus 16. We're backing the story up here, and we're going back to Exodus 2 and 3, where we encounter Moses. Uh, Exodus 2 is a grim picture. Uh, the people of Israel, the Hebrew people, are in Egypt as slaves. And Pharaoh, to try and minimize the number of Hebrews, because they're growing in number, uh, sends out an edict that children, young children, Hebrew boys will be killed. Two parents of a young Hebrew baby in an effort to save their child, put him in a basket and send the basket down the Nile. And it just so happens that that basket ends up on the shores outside of the palace. One of the princesses of, uh, of Pharaoh's family has this baby brought to her. She decides to take it in as her own. She names him Moses. So Moses grows up in the house of Pharaoh. We know very little, really nothing about his time in Pharaoh's home. Um, so there you go. It's, it just is a real quick note. But then when we get to Exodus 2.11, uh, we, um, we encounter Moses for the first time. Before you read, Kevin, I actually would love one more person to do a little bit of investigating and if anybody can do this, you don't need to put your name in the chat window. Go to, if, if a couple people want to go to Acts, the book of Acts in the New Testament, chapter 7, look in the, the, the verses in the 20s and 30s, and look for how long Moses was in Pharaoh's house, and then how long was he in the wilderness of Midian? The answer is in Acts 7, and then when you find the answer, whoever that person is, just throw that answer in the chat window, and we'll, we'll use that in just a moment, too. All right, that's enough context. Kevin, Kevin, let's unmute you. Do, do, do. And 
if you would, my friend, uh, read those verses from chapter two for us. Thanks. Many years later, when Moses had grown up, he went out to visit his own people, the Hebrews, and he saw how hard they were forced to work. During his visit, he saw an Egyptian beating one of his fellow Hebrews. After looking in all directions to make sure no one was watching, Moses killed the Egyptian and hid the body in the sand. The next day, when Moses went out to visit his people again, he saw two Hebrew men fighting. Why are you beating up your friend? Moses said to the one who had started the fight. The man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Are you going to kill me as you killed that Egyptian yesterday? Then Moses was afraid, thinking, everyone knows what I did. And sure enough, Pharaoh heard what had happened, and he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in the land of Midian. When Moses arrived in Midian, he sat down beside a well. Awesome, Kevin. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. So the answer's in the chat window. It uh, looks like someone from uh, Janelle's household has, has found that in Acts 7 we learn uh, that Moses is in Pharaoh's home for 40 years. And then after this event where he murders an Egyptian and he flees into the, the wilderness of Midian, he's there for 40 years. Now, anybody kind of just want to shout, not to me because you're on mute, but, you know, to the, to the ether, you want to shout, how many years was Israel in the wilderness? That's right, 40. I'm sure you got that correct. Yeah, 40 years. So we see a pattern here, do we not? And um, this is not the only place in the Bible at all where 40 shows up. The number 40 actually is all throughout the scriptures. And nearly every time that it shows up, it is, it is a period of time in which a person or a community is either in or entering in to liminal space, to the in-between. You might remember that's what we've been talking about here, right? These last few weeks is liminal space. This in-between time between what was and, and what will be. And again, 40 is your clue. Hey, we might be entering a space here um, of the in-between. And as you know, we've been saying, liminal spaces are both transforming and disorienting. They're both, both of those things. And certainly that was true for Moses. You think about it, 40 years growing up in Pharaoh's home, and then because of an act of anger and violence, he is forced to flee and leave everything he has known behind. And he flees into a wilderness he does not know, into a future that is uncertain. I mean, Moses is right here in a liminal space. But before we get to his time in Midian, I want to highlight the question that he is asked in verse 14. This is asked by a fellow Hebrew. The man replied, after Moses tried to step in in an argument, the man replied, who appointed you to be our prince and judge? Who appointed you? Which is really a way of asking, Moses, who are you? <laughs> who are you? Right? Like, what, what, what right do you have to be asking that question? Are you our prince and judge? Who are you? And I think that question not only propels Moses into liminal space, but I think it's a question that pursues 
and haunts him for the next 40 years. Hold on to that uh, for a moment. So Moses enters the wilderness of Midian. Over the next 40 years, he marries uh, Zipporah. They have two sons together. Moses forges a new life. He becomes a shepherd. And one day, at the end of those 40 years, he's taking care of his sheep way out by Mount Sinai, and he notices something up on the mountainside that doesn't make any sense. A bush is aflame, but it's not burning. So he turns aside. He goes to look, and there mysteriously is God calling out to Moses, telling him that God has heard the cries of the Israel people, and God is calling, sending Moses back to his old home to confront a new Pharaoh and demand that God's people be set free. All right. So now we're to Exodus 3. And Andy, let me find you a second here. We'll unmute you. Take it away, my friend. Exodus 3, 11 to 15. Moses protested to God. Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Thanks, Andy. Appreciate it. So Moses is in a liminal space again. I know we've just read a few verses. Um, a lot of time has passed, another 40 years. But here Moses again is in the in-between. I mean, his entire world of the last 40 years has just been blown up because he's standing in front of a bush that's on fire, but not burning, and it's talking to him, right? The world as he knew it <laughs> is no more. And this future that he's being called into, I mean, is there anything more uncertain? Uh, so he stands in the in-between. And in this liminal space, Moses does what I think a lot of us do when we are in, in these kinds of spaces. We ask a bunch of questions, right? I mean, are we not doing this right now, trying to figure out when am I going to go back to work? When is this whole thing going to end? What will the governor do? Uh, when, when will school happen in the fall? What will it look like? Right? On and on, the questions are nonstop right now. But it's not just those kinds of, of questions about routines and responsibilities, which are important questions. 
I think in liminal spaces, we also find that the deeper questions, the, the really foundational questions of who we are tend to resurface. And I want to focus on two questions that Moses asked. He asked more than two, but I want to focus on two of them. And the, the two questions are this. Who am I? And who are you? So verse 11, but Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? Twice he asked, who am I? I think it's actually a pretty reasonable question, if you want me to be honest. I mean, who is Moses? Is he an Egyptian? Is he a Hebrew? Is he a Midianite? Where does he belong? Who are his people? Or is he just some outcast? A murderer turned shepherd uh, who now is being asked to walk into the halls of the most powerful person arguably on planet Earth and demand that he release his workforce. Uh, who is Moses? But I also wonder if the question doesn't just get at more than his resume. Um, and I think back to chapter two and that question that Moses is asked before he enters the first kind of liminal space of his life, right? Do you remember the question? Who appointed you as our prince and judge? In other words, this, this fellow Hebrew says, who are you, man? Who are you? You're nobody. You have no right, no standing, get lost. And now 40 years later, as Moses stands on the threshold of the in-between, again, the same question is being asked. This time, though, it's coming from his own lips. Who am I? Who am I? I'm nobody, nothing to offer. And can I do this thing that I'm being asked to do? Do I have what it takes? And what about my past? The last time I was in Egypt, my anger raged. And am I destined to repeat the same mistakes? Who am I? And then Moses asks, who are you? But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me what is his name, then what should I tell them? Who are you? Which again, I think is a reasonable question. As best we know, Moses learned about the Egyptian gods growing up in an Egyptian home. He spent the last 40 years in Midian. It's quite unclear what sort of religion might have existed there. Does he know who the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is? And now here's this voice coming from a bush? I think it's a fair question. Who are you? <laughs> Which is to say, can I trust you? If I follow you, this call that you're extending to me, will you 
comes through. See, in liminal spaces, these foundational questions, they tend to surface, maybe they're resurfacing again. You know, and for me, I've found myself um, having to face certain questions in these last couple of months. Maybe I haven't exactly out loud said, who am I? Or who are you? Uh, but I also kind of have. You know, I, I'm someone who quickly looks to what I've accomplished to tell me if I'm valuable. And right now, I don't feel like I'm accomplishing a lot. In fact, there are some days when it's not even clear what I should be accomplishing, right? I don't even know always what the goal is. What should this day look like? What should I be doing? And so suddenly in the midst of this liminal space, I'm wondering if I can't accomplish what I normally accomplish, then who am I? That's a foundational question. And I'm talking about it very casually here, like oh, it's no big deal. And this question has, it's rocked me um, a little bit or a lot. And, oh yeah, by the way, I'm also asking this who are you question in a sense. I mean, in the midst of what can certainly feel like scarcity, right? When grocery store shelves are more bare and Amazon shipments <gasps> take a week, you know, to get to me. It can feel like I'm in danger of not having enough, which can easily then turn into the question, God, who are you? Can you be trusted? Will you provide for what I need in the midst of this upheaval? I imagine some of you can probably relate to those questions. Maybe, maybe you're quite like I am, and these, these questions resonate with you deeply. But I bet for others of you, the questions are slightly different. Some of you are, are the kinds of people who are wired in a way that you really feel settled in the world. You feel like you have something to maybe add or contribute when the world is ordered and tidy. You know, when you are able to exercise a, a fair measure of control, then you feel, again, settled and, and like you're able to offer something. Well, in this pandemic, when nothing seems to be, or very little is in our control, the world is not ordered and tidy, well then who are you, you know? How does that make you feel? Um, I, I could imagine it might shake you up a little bit. Or maybe you're someone whose sense of self is rooted in caring for other people. Hopefully we're all caring for other people, but some of us are, are uniquely wired uh, that that is a driving force in our lives, a key motivation to care for other people. And yeah, you can still send a text message and care for people and do a Zoom call, but it's just not the same, is it? Your ability to care in the way that you have been able to care for people, it's gone. And so now what? Right? Some of us are at our best when we're spontaneous, when we're optimistic, when we're extroverted. Three things that are in short supply these days. So what do you do in this world where those things can be in lack? 
or maybe you're someone who makes their way through the world by creating harmony. You, you ease tension, you help bring peace in certain situations. But again, here we are in this world full of tension, full of uncertainty. How do you operate? Who, who are, do you, you get what I'm saying? Like liminal spaces shake us up in such a way that it's not just that our routines get disrupted or that you know, trips to the grocery store become more difficult. It's that who we actually are and how we show up in the world has been jolted and moved and shaken a little bit, or maybe a lot, right? We're not even sure perhaps how to be ourselves in liminal spaces. And so I think in, in, in some way, most of us, maybe all of us are asking this question of who am I? And perhaps we're asking as well, who are you? We're asking this to God, like, God, are you who you say you are? And do you hear me? And do you see my pain and my loneliness? And can you be trusted to meet me in this space? If I follow through, will you come through? Liminal spaces cause foundational questions to surface or to resurface. And I know that that can be scary. It can be unnerving. I feel that myself. But friends, these verses don't just contain questions. Um, here's the good news. They also hold within them God's response. So let's go back to verse 11. But Moses protested to God, who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? And God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you've brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very moment. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they will ask me, what is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. So we hear God reply to Moses, I will be with you. And then God gives God's name. I am who I am. We could do a whole series on that. What is one Hebrew word? Um, so much has been written. And there's, there's, again, so much to say. But uh, for today, uh, I want to invite you to consider this. Remember back in Egypt 40 years ago when Moses confronts his fellow Hebrew and that person says to him, who are you? And then Moses, 40 years later, says, who am I? And God's reply is, I am who I am. Could it be, could it be that Moses' deepest question, this question that has haunted him for decades, the question we all ask ourselves, has finally found its answer? Perhaps God is saying, Moses, you will know and understand who you are as you come to know and understand 
who I am. Because I am Moses. I am the one who spoke the sun and the moon and the stars into existence. I'm the one who set the seasons in motion. I am. Knit you together in your mother's womb. I am who I am. And your deepest questions find their answer here in me. Which I think leads us back to verse five. We haven't read verse five yet. So if you've got a Bible, you'll have to head there yourself. Um, it won't be up on the screen here. Verse five of Exodus three. Yes, liminal spaces cause foundational questions to surface, but they also hold the possibility of being holy spaces. So actually, let's go back to verse one of chapter three. Now Moses was shepherding the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to the mountain of God, to Horeb. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from within a bush. He looked, and the bush was ablaze with fire, but it was not being consumed. So Moses thought, I will turn aside to see this amazing sight. Why does the bush not burn up? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from within the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. God said, do not approach any closer. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Friends, I know that liminal spaces can be disorienting, uh, even disturbing, painful, hard, challenging, full of questions. And, and liminal spaces hold the possibility of being holy spaces. Now, don't let that word holy trip you up too much. Um, if that feels like really out there or lethal or tough, tough to nail down. Holy just means set apart, separate, unique, sacred, okay? And in holy spaces, spaces that are unique, that are separate, set apart, there is this heightened possibility of encountering the divine. Now, God can always be encountered in any space, at any moment. But there are these particular moments, these holy spaces, where there's a heightened possibility of encountering God. And I don't know, for me, when I look at where we are living today, it certainly feels like a separate space, a unique space in time. And I wonder, does it hold within it the possibility of also being holy? I think for us to experience liminal space as holy space, there's something helpful that Moses does. Uh, Moses, as imperfect as he is, does something that might be worth following his example. When he sees this bush burning, but not burning, 
he turned aside. He stopped doing what he was doing, which was leading the sheep in a certain direction. He stopped what he was doing and he turned aside so that he could give his attention to this thing, this separate, this unique space and time that he noticed. Friends, um, as we walk through this liminal space, I think there will be things that get our attention or that could get our attention. And they may be hard things. Part of liminal spaces, again, is difficulty and disruption. But those things actually can be the burning bush, if you will, the thing that we are, if, if we can just turn aside, turn towards those things, we find that they can be holy, that God can meet us in those spaces. And again, liminal spaces raise all kinds of questions. Do you, do you know that questions can actually be like a burning bush? Questions can be the thing that we need to turn toward, turn aside, and, and move toward with curiosity. And then sometimes the burning bushes in our lives are, are beautiful things, like the budding of a leaf at the end of a branch after six months of winter, or the laughter of someone we love, or eating our favorite meal or a child leaning against us while we watch TV. There are moments, and sometimes they become long seasons like this one that we're in, that are unique, set apart, they're, they're separate, and they hold within them the possibility of also being holy, of spaces in which we are able to have a, a heightened possibility of connecting with God. And so maybe here's a question to end on this morning. What would it mean for you to turn aside? Again, the difficulties of liminal space, sometimes we want to turn away from. Sometimes the questions that get raised in liminal spaces, those core questions we don't want to deal with, but it's actually turning aside, moving toward with a curiosity that Moses had, that we discover that God is with us. I am who I am is there in that liminal space, ready to meet and call us into a new future. This morning I had on repeat for about two hours, um, maybe a bit too long, I don't know, uh, a song by Coldplay uh, called Every Day. It's, I've, I've listened to that song dozens and dozens of times and the words caught me this morning. Um, and I have no idea what Chris Martin was thinking or not thinking when he wrote these lyrics, but here they are, at least some of them. What in the world are we going to do? Look at what everybody's going through. What kind of world do you want it to be? Am I the future or the history? 
again, I don't know what he, what he was thinking when he wrote it. I read that and I think of liminal space. Caught between the future and the past, looking around at the world going, what, in, what is happening? And he says, because everyone hurts and everyone cries and everyone tells each other all kinds of lies. Everyone falls. Everybody dreams and doubts. And then at the end of the song, he says this, sings this, at first light, throw my arms out open wide. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. What would it be like this week when those burning bush moments show up, whether they're profound and dramatic or they're simple and seemingly mundane? What if we would turn aside and throw our arms out wide? Open, curious, holding the possibility that in that space, God is ready to meet us. May we be those people this week that throw our arms open wide and connect with the I am, the one in whom we, we have our deepest questions answered. May we be those people this week. Amen. All right, friends, we're going to practice something that I think helps us open our arms wide. And here's how we're going to do this. Um, you're welcome to, of course, uh, eat this meal however you would like, whether that means you want to break off a piece of bread and eat it and then drink from a cup, or you want to tear off a piece of bread or cracker or whatever you found and you want to then dip it in the juice or again, whatever you have, the wine, and you're going to you're going to eat it together. We'll do the eating part in just a moment, and you're welcome to do it however you'd like. But first, we're going to say a blessing to each other. So we'll unmute everyone. And we're going to, as I'll say, one, two, three, kind of cue us, and then we'll say this blessing together. And then after that blessing, you'll have the chance to share in the bread and the cup. Here's the blessing that we'll read in just a moment. The I am, this is what we'll say to each other, meets you in the eating of the bread and the drinking of this cup. As you eat these gifts, may you encounter the living God, the I am, and in doing so, continue to discover who you are. So let's say that together. We'll unmute everybody. Hold on. There we are. So if we're ready, one, two, three. The I am and the and in doing so to continue to cover who you Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
The gifts of God for the people of God. Amen. What a gift to have Christ meet us, to have something as simple as bread, and for me today, lemonade. Hmm, what a tart communion it was. Uh, to, to have these gifts, so simple and ordinary as they are, be a way in which we enter into the sacred and the holy. That God connects with us here in these, in these things given to us. And for that, we give thanks. Amen.